Hey everyone, this is Andrew with Leave Your Shoes by the Door, and today I'm joined with Brian C. Lee. Brian, thanks for being on here today. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate you having me on. This is uh, this is exciting. I love doing this. So yeah. I'm looking forward to today. You, I, I've always known who you are. I've seen you speak at Divisions, and I'm, I'm always attracted to the way you speak. You're a great public speaker. you got a great sense of humor, and of course you're knowledgeable. Uh, 26 years in the industry. Uh, but not until we hit record did I not know we had this personal connection of a love of... <laughs> All things movies. Yes, yes. Really I think exciting. we spent. We, we we probably should have recorded it for a completely different <laughs> a different podcast. podcast yeah. But but about Star Wars and DC and all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. For those who are interested, uh, Brian and I are happy to record a, a three hour episode after this one where we talk about nothing but movies for exactly. three hours. Yeah. And and it's across the board. I mean, it was oh, Star yeah. Wars. It was DC. It was horror films. Yep. It was Jaws. Yeah. Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, but uh, one of the, the the great things of having you on here, Brian, is you are an appraiser. Um, and unless you've been living on a cave on the moon for the past two years, things have been pretty interesting in our industry. Um, for the obvious, COVID, but also with just the market being so hot and building supplies and just all these major variables that have come to the table. What's it like, Brian? What's it like out there for an appraiser? Tell me, tell me what 2020 and 2021 has been like for your, your, your side of the industry. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a challenge, and it's been a challenge on a lot of different levels. Because certainly at the when the when the pandemic hit back in back in uh, early 2020, February March of 2020, there was the concern just even just from the from the simplistic thing of can I go out and look at properties? Can I go into homes? Uh, obviously, because of social distancing, we weren't sure about the virus. We wore masks. We I mean there was talk about that there's going to be a requirement that we wear a like a nuclear suit. I mean, yeah. with all sincerity, like we will wear a plastic suit to walk in these homes with, with gloves and then come out. And like we, it was almost to the level where we we're going to have to have the, 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 the shower outside yeah. to go through that. So there was those discussions of can we even go in these homes? So things that have changed with that has been, you know, right after the, the pandemic hit that do we go in these properties? And everybody kind of agreed we still need to, but there have been many situations where borrowers, homeowners, whatever, would not let us into the home they just for their own security, for their own safety, their own health. So that changed a little bit for us. So, now that so has relaxed a little bit. Let me ask you something. And, and I, I want to make it clear. This is just Brian Lee's perspective. Brian, you're not speaking on behalf of no, all appraisers, no. right? I just want to make that clear. But just going back um, still in today's industry of, of we have these high quality photos and, and videos, you're still old fashioned. You like to physically be there and, and physically see these homes, right? I do. I absolutely yeah. do. And that's, that's been one of the things that when they first started talking about uh, maybe not letting us go into homes, that that would be the standard protocol for at least a period of time, I was vehemently against it. Uh, and, and not because of the safety. I mean, still, we would have followed protocol, whatever. But I am, and and nobody will, I shouldn't say never, never say never, but but... It's the, it's the adage that, that a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth a thousand pictures, and being in the location is a thousand videos. So you can give me a picture, you can describe it to me, you can show me a video and all that, but you still don't get the perspective. You don't get the, the, the things that are important, especially when we're talking about valuation of property. Sometimes it is the details. I, I just had another podcast. Uh, we were talking about the devil is in the details, that, that, that a video may not capture something, or I just happen, didn't happen to see it, that... I can do the same pan with my eyes that I do with, that you did with the video camera, but with my eyes, I just saw the depth. I saw whatever it was. I mean, shoot, even just from the view, I step out of the backyard, or I'm sorry, the back of the home into the backyard, and you can have the video and a picture, and I see it, but it's still whatever. And I'm not a scientist here, but you get like a 180 degree viewer point of whatever it is. With my eyes, I get more than that. I get to see like this huge arc this huge uh, bubble if you will of everything that i get to see and so all that is so important or can be important so i am uh i am absolutely old school in that and i and i and, and as you pointed out there are some peers of mine appraiser peers of mine that 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 don't agree with that 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 we're in a situation now where we have enough uh, uh video we have enough pictures we have enough statistical data that maybe we don't have to go out in the homes and and I would agree that that in some situations, if you're dealing with a three-bedroom, two-bath ranch home in suburbia, that might be okay because we have enough data to be able to get really close. Uh, but a lot of work that I do is more specialized. It's not that it's extremely unique, but but I still I I, I would I will want to be in that home every single time. Yeah, I gotta say I love that line. I, I'm not gonna say the numbers, but 
like a, a thousand pictures is worth a thousand videos and a thousand videos. I love that because that's so true. Because I mean, let's be honest, you can see the greatest, most detailed picture, but you're 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 out a few senses. You're not touching anything. You're mm -hmm. not smelling. You know, it's just. And yeah, and let's be honest, you can also distort pictures. Yeah, well, you, know, and, you can make a room look a lot bigger than absolutely, what it really is. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? Well, yeah. and, and you know, as funny as it is, we were talking before when we were talking about movies and all that. Of course, we were talking about taking pictures or being out on the beach. And certainly, you can describe the beach to me that the sand is gritty and it's warm and it's humid and I smell the water. Uh, you can see a picture of it. Okay, I see the water crashing and all that, but it's a still picture. I can see a video of it and I hear it and all that. But being on that beach, feeling that sand, smelling that air, physically actually smelling it, and having all those senses being fired off, it really attracts your brain and you capture so much mm -hmm. more than any word, picture, or video could ever do. Um, and that's very true for homes too. So let me ask you something then. I mean, I, I'm seeing what you're... What how you're describing this with so much uh, enthusiasm and passion is is appraising an art is it an art form that is probably one of the biggest arguments that's going on right now and I I don't want to get into it to be very transparent right now um, um, but 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 I don't want to ignore the fact that right now racial bias and bias invaluation sure. is a huge hot-button topic and and the reason I bring it up in relation to your question is that um, some of that art form is under question, is, is in question because of the standpoint that, that our appraisal is an opinion of value and it's based upon subjective metrics. There is no objectivity to an appraisal. There are some objective things that we do. I'll measure for square footage. I'll look to see the quality, the condition of the home. Those things are not subjective. You either updated the kitchen or you didn't. It is 2,000 square foot or it's not. So there is some objectivity to it, but most of it is that finesse. Most of it is the art. Oh, so therein lies the question of, of how much of that does your subjectivity come into it? You know, again, the, some of the allegation is, is that because this uh, homeowner was black, that that affected me in sure. some way. And, and either I uh, changed the value lower or higher, whatever the situation is. So that is an example of that. So I, I still stand by the fact that, that our job is somewhat of an art form because it is not a precise, it's not a scientific, it's not, there's no precision behind it. We get as close as we can. We, we do as much... Uh, sta a, a statistical analysis that we can, yeah. but at the end of the day, I mean, a, a, there is not an appraiser out there could, that could argue anything different. Is that it's still our best guess? Yeah, it's our best guess. I mean, it is an estimate. It's an idea. It's an opinion based upon data, based upon the objective components. But it's still, at the end of the day, the number that we put on that paper is a guess. Because yeah. I mean, even if we were to argue that that I mean, I, I say this often in many of my classes is that. You can have 100 people look at this home, and you might get 80 different values out of it. Now, they should be within a range. They should be you know, somewhere between 190 and 210 maybe. Yeah. But still, nobody's going to sit there and say, everybody is only going to pay 200. Yeah. This buyer's going to pay 201 because you're paying some closing costs. This buyer will pay 198 because they don't need closing costs, and they need a, a closing date that's more, more uh, agreeable to the seller. Yeah. So there's... There's a number that we're in. Now, if I think it's worth 150 and you think it's worth 250 now we have a problem. Yeah, now right. I would say that somebody's probably messed up. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to say a term that I've seen a lot of. And Brian, I, I, I know I come off as an expert, but I'm not. All right. So go <laughs> well, ahead and speak I'll, to I'll try to act like in a professional, too. There so. you go. Okay, good. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's see if let's I can pull this off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Appraisal gap. Mm -hmm. Go. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was an I'm insightful done. question, Andrew. The ball Thank is officially so in your court. <laughs> so appraisal gap, and 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 just for the clarity, I'm sure agents that listen probably know this, but this is my interpretation of it. Uh, the appraisal gap is is language that 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 buyers and sellers will agree to in a purchase contract that will say that we agree as buyer and seller we agree to to enter into this transaction to buy sell this home for two hundred and ten. That again, regardless of what it was listed for, let's say it was listed for two hundred, but we agree to a contract at two ten, and then the buyer says, you know, we we know that we're going to get a lend we're, that we're going to get a loan, and the lender's going to order an appraisal, and the appraiser may not come in at two ten. That we bid it up to this higher number, maybe over list price at two ten. So we're going to include language in here to say that we agree to buy this home for X. Let's just say two ten. And even if the appraisal comes in at two oh four, two oh two, two hundred, that the difference there will make up that gap. We will we will 
make up that difference, that, that the lender is still only going to loan on that appraised value. So if, if Brian appraises it at 200, we agree to pay it for 210. The lender is basing their loan on the $200,000 number, and we're going to make up the 10,000 with our own cash. So that's the gap that they're talking about that I, that, that most, most, when I hear the conversation, that's where they're going into. Where that applies to the appraisal process is, is, is again, very, in, in today's world, it's still very uh, argumentative. Um, I don't like that some appraisers automatically will think, well, because the property one was listed at 200, but also, even though they agreed at 210, and the, but, and the buyer's willing to cope with, with a $10,000 gap here, that that home is really worth two hundred. I don't like that perspective. I don't like that, that seeing that in a contract automatically means that the home's really only worth two hundred. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. Um, uh, I'm and, going to do my analysis and, so and find out what that is. Let me. I'm I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no. I'm I'm just thinking of that 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 first stage that you're talking about, where they agree we're we're going to list. You know, we agree that this is that valued at two ten. Is that two ten based on like supply and demand? Where are they coming up with that two ten before the appraiser's even in the equation? So yeah, and then that that's certainly that is that that is a whole other <laughs> can of worms to even sure. get into, uh, and. I, I am a real estate agent too. Right. I, I grant, granted, I, I do, I'm not a full-time professional. I deal with this all the time, but I guess my point is, is that I do have the perspective that agents have, and the point, I, the reason I bring that up is because every transaction has a little bit different uh, situation to it. The general idea, the general consensus is that the property was listed at 200000 and it got bid up because of multiple offers or because of desperation. Just did an appraisal on Wednesday where, I mean, I met the buyers at the property. They hired me for a, for a private sale and the buyers met me at the property and they, and again, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think the home was listed at like 450 and they had bid it up to 460 and they flat out told me, the buyers flat out told me to my face said, the reason we offered 460 isn't because we thought that it was worth 460. It was because we wanted to get that home that we had made so many of our offers on so many of the homes and lost out that we were not going to lose out a fourth, fifth, sixth time. So even though we might be only worth 450, we are going to go 460 because we want this property. So, you know, is that fear of missing out? Is that I'm tired of jacking with looking for homes and putting in offers and losing out on deals? There's something to be said for all of that, that, that influence buyers in that discussion. But also, too, I recognize as an appraiser that if you have, uh, again, well, let me back up for just a minute, that you know, the, uh, an opinion of, or, I'm sorry, the valuation of property is not a scientific number. You have the property listed at 450. That's not the, the value of that home. Uh, the market will tell you that. So, so if you have five, six, seven buyers that are all interested in this property and they're all saying, we'd pay 460 for it. I know you have it listed at 450, but we'd pay 460 for it. Then maybe that what this buyer did was reasonable. Maybe it was a rational thought that, that granted they did do it again, telling me that they did it out of the fear of missing out. But also, too, if they had four or five other offers mm -hmm. and, and four or five other buyers that were all offering 460, then that tells me something, too. So that's why, getting back to the original conversation, the gap language does not ever bother me. It doesn't influence me one way or the other. It doesn't make me say that home's really only worth 200. Right. You have gap language in there that's going to cover 10,000. So if I come in at 200, some appraisers might say, I'll come in at 200 because I know the buyer's still going to get the home. And at least I didn't screw up the deal. Yeah. And I don't like that attitude. Again, I see it. I recognize it. But I also don't immediately say, well, that home's only worth 200. And I know the buyer's going to come up with a 10,000. So they don't need the appraisal to be at 210. So let, let's talk big picture. What's at stake? What's at stake um, if, if you list a house at $500,000 and then you, the appraiser, have looked at this house every square inch and you say this is this house is worth 250 tops and say say for for whatever whatever happens you lose that and it does go to market for 500,000 what are the implications of that what's what's at stake for our our delicate ecosystem of our industry what's at stake there so there's a lot of things at stake there uh, one of the things that 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 answers the question but 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 it kind of goes off at a tangent for a minute is that Remembering that most of the appraisals that are written for agents, or they're not written for agents, I'm sure that's not, that's not what I mean to say, but where agents are involved in is that the appraisal is written for a lender. And so the lender 
wants to know what the market value of that property is. Now, maybe the buyer thinks it's worth 210. If the market thinks it's worth 200, the lender wants to know the market number, not what this buyer thinks. This buyer might think it's worth 210. The buyer might be willing to pay 210. The lender wants to know that. So the implication there is, is that if I were to say, okay, well, you bought it for 210, I'll write my appraisal for 210, even though I really only think it's 200. Now there's an implication for that lender. And and, and also to me too, for my license, that that I essentially lied, if you will, maybe not intentionally, but still there's some, some, some issue with, with my license that I told the lender was worth 210 when it was really worth 200. I mean, you compromised your professional I compromised integrity. me, and then also yeah. I compromised the lender, too, that if somewhere down the road that they have to foreclose on this property and take it, and they base their lending decision on 210 when it's really worth 200, then there's a financial consequence there, and then ultimately it can come back to me as well. But there's that situation. Now, on the other side of it is that you know, I, I joke all the time, but but people can buy, pay for what, pay whatever you want for something. I mean, I I, I love Star Wars figures, and right. somebody might look at a Star Wars figure and pay. I say I'd pay a quarter for it, and I'd say I'll pay you a hundred bucks for it right. because it's worth a hundred dollars to me because I really like this thing. People that are out there that I really want this home, and I know you're telling me it's only worth two hundred. I hear you, agent. It's two hundred, but I want this home. I really like the the amenities. I really like the location or whatever, and I want it. I'm willing to pay two ten. So again, that's where me as the appraiser, it's yeah, telling you, buyer, it's really worth, only worth 200. It's not worth 210. You want to pay 210 for it, then please do. And again, that's where the gap coverage comes back in to say that the buyer says, I know it's worth 200, but I really want it and I'm willing to pay for it. I'm willing to do that. Uh, uh, so there's that. The final implication that I see is that down the road, what's going to happen? They buy that home. They pay the two ten for it, and a year, two years from now, they want to refinance or they want to resell. Oh, sure. What does the market do? Are they going to sure. be able to get their money back out of it? Will it continue to go up? Uh, again, I am. <laughs> I sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but I'm a financial uh, analysis, I guess. I, I'm an analyst, and I and I love crunching numbers. There is something to be said for uh, an increasing market, and though even though you may pay more for a property now, if it continues up at its current appreciation levels, um, you're going to make up for it. But also, too, for getting appreciation, let's say you buy it at 210, and a year from now it's still only worth 210, if mortgage rates, you get a loan today and it's at 3%, but this time in 2022 interest rates are 4%, let's say, your cost of living has increased a year from now. So I'm willing to pay $10,000 more today and I know it's a little bit overvalue, but I'm getting it 3% as opposed to I'm going to wait until the market slows down and the market isn't crazy and we don't have appreciation and I'll buy it at 210 in a year, but now I'm buying it at 4%. So now it's more expensive for me because when you take that 1% over a 30-year mortgage period, you're paying a heck of a lot more yeah. than $10,000 that you're paying today. So again, those are all the things that, that really go into us. It's not just as simple as saying that the home isn't worth 210 and those are things that I will always look at and, and, and recognize because a good market participant that is well-educated is doing the same thing. Can I say something? As no, a... no, I'm sorry. This, <laughs> this, is, this is my show now, Andrew. I'm sorry. What's the answer <laughs> named after? <laughs> well, no, I'm just going to say as a simpleton, as a non-expert, that's a tough sell. Yes. What you just said is a tough sell. Like, yes. I don't care, man. I just want to get, get this house at this, at this price. Mm -hmm. That's all I care about right yep. now. Look, yep. I get what you're saying, five years, ten years, but... You know, that's just a tough sell to kind of sell that long-term effects. But as, as someone who is in this industry, I know that that is detrimental, you know, consequences that have a ripple. Yeah, that absolutely. everything around Absolutely. It. And, and again, we, we, I think one of the things maybe you were leading to or maybe you weren't is that, you know, if that home does sell at 210, then that affects future right. sales. Right. That, that today, it's this, your property sold for 210. It was really only worth 200 what will that have on future properties? Because now maybe those future properties are artificially inflated as well. Yeah. And so there's a concern over that, that, that again, we, we don't know what that is. I mean, that, that's where we have to get the crystal ball out to figure out what's the future going to hold for the economy, for the, uh, uh, the, the real estate market in general. Will it continue up or, you know, it, it will eventually stagnate. It will eventually uh, catch up to itself. But, you know, is that a year, two years, or is it, you know, next month? So I, I know, uh, and, and we're going to get into that. Well, I'm going to get into it now because I want the, the audience to understand where you're coming from. You are an enterprise. You're a one-man enterprise. Brianclee.com. 
Uh, you're the director of the 2013 Indiana Real Estate Institute. You do uh, motivational speaking. I saw you at three division meetings. I mean, you're not just an appraiser. I mean, you really are kind of a champion of your field. And I'm just asking just from your personal experience, have you, and not even, it, it might not even happen in central Indiana, but have you seen a situation where they have that artificial inflation and then these homes are selling for prices that don't make any sense? And have you seen that before? And, and what, what, like, you're seeing this, like, bubble, right? Have you ever seen anything like that in, in, in the country? Uh, in the country, no. I would say, I mean, again, we talked earlier that, that now I'm showing my age a little bit. I've been in the industry, been in as appraiser since 1995. So I've been through three recessions now. I'm going to make you feel old say you've been in it for a quarter century. <laughs> wow. Is that okay? Oh, oh yeah. man, I've never had it put that way. Thank Facts. you so much. Facts, bro. Now, now. That's a fact. <laughs> Can we say that I started when I was like five? Is, is, that, <laughs> is that believable? Maybe. <laughs> so at least I'm not as old as I yeah. actually am. So... You're in your I, second millennium exactly. of, of appraising. How's that sound? Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, so the, the closest thing that I have seen come to it, and, and it's different, it's different, so it's not the same, was the recession of 2008, right. 2009. Yeah. Uh, seeing, again, not to the levels that we're seeing it today, but still this feeding frenzy and, and, and what people were doing back in the early 2000s, you know, 2001 to 2006, seven, and all that, where there was some frenzy, not, a, not, a, not insane as it is today. So I've seen some of that, and obviously we saw the result of it. Now, I want to be clear. I do not think that, and I don't think any economist would have seen this, is that we're heading toward that kind of a recession. I think there will be a correction. I think there will be some sort of a, an economic shift, not to the level of 2008, though. So uh, 2008 was driven by a lot of other things. So to answer the question maybe a little bit more directly, that's the closest I have ever come to seeing that. And and working prior to that in the in the late 90s and then early 2000s, working through that recessionary period and the time that followed and even into today, it is very interesting to see how that cycle works. And yeah. being that I've been in it for a quarter century, thank you again for bringing that sure, up. Sure, go ahead. Uh, uh, is that I've seen those shifts and so it's interesting to see this. This is, this is not something I've ever experienced other than just just uh, uh, educationally. I have taught classes throughout the country. I have attended classes throughout the country, and people will talk about how crazy it is in California, how crazy it is in Florida and Nevada and all that. So I've heard about it and studied it, but never experienced it as an appraiser from the standpoint of, other than in a classroom. So uh, seeing what they were talking about, the, the things that they've been through before, uh, um, that's been the experience that I've had. Now, the other thing that's been interesting is that being an instructor, I've actually taught about it before. I've taught about what we're going through right now without even realizing that I was talking about it, teaching it. Sure. I was teaching about it from, from that educational standpoint, that, that sterile environment of I'm in front of a classroom and telling you, here's what this would look like. Hypotheticals. Exactly. Yeah. And now I'm able to teach this thing and say, oh my gosh. I've been doing this, I've been teaching for uh, 16 years now, saying this over and over again, and not ever having it click to the point of where now, here it is and actually happening, where before it was just theoretically, like you said, this, this thing is going to happen, and, yeah. and here it is. Um, so I wanted to ask you, um, all right, so we're talking bad data, which makes a perfect segue to, to something i got to talk to you about, uh, this infamous behavior of you have a list price, pending price, Retconning, going back to the list price, manipulating the history, the, you know, manipulating That's the factual history. That's not what it history. is. Come on, manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> um, rewriting history. How's that sound? <laughs> there you go. What's that mean to you? And, and let's just let's air it out right now. Let's talk about it. What's that mean to you? What's that mean for the industry? Are you being fooled by that? Are you and your fellow appraisers fooled by that type yeah, of it's, action? Yeah, it's it's. I'll, I'll be honest, Andrew. I, it was funny. I was, I was, you and I were both at the Hamco Mybor meeting, um, whatever a month ago, mm -hmm. six weeks ago, whatever it was. And I have been. I'm, I'm going to tell you my answer that I that I've had. And the, the answer is, is that it's never fooled me. You've never ever pulled the wool over my eyes. Again, I uh, not bragging or whatever, but but my my wife would tell you that that if you want an appraisal done. And you feel comfortable with the value, you, you're okay with me doing it. You want me to do it. But if the, the value is in question, you don't want Brian to do it because Brian will find out. I 
am a, I, I love to study things and I do a lot of in-depth study, both from an educational standpoint, but even property specific. So, so me and other appraisers too, we are going to study that data. We're going to look to see what's the listing history and all that. And when we see that, that you had the property listed at 150, and you have a purchase price at 160. And now when you go on back and pending it, you change the list price to 160 and then pen it at 160. I see all that. We see all that change. So uh, up until the Hamco meeting, I would say that, that, that my instant response was, you're not fooling me, and, it, and it's disingenuous. Now, somebody at that meeting told me something that got me to think about it. And granted, I, I, I'll be I'll just, just my own personal opinion. I don't think that most agents are doing this, mm -hmm. but... This agent told me that the reason that they were doing it, and again, maybe they were pulling smoke up my butt or whatever, but at the end of the day, they told me that they were doing it because, Morning. so we have property A, and property A is listed at 150. You've entered into a contract with the buyer at $160,000. Right now to the public, I have no idea that that's happened. All I see is an, as, a, as an agent and as an appraiser is the property was 150 and it was pended at 150. I have no idea what it sold for. Now you as an agent come on and you're going to list property B and you want to price the property based upon what the current market's doing. You're looking at comparable sales, you're looking at active listings and you see this one active that sold, that's pended at 150. So your assumption is, is that it sold at 150 when actually it sold at 160. So the argument was, and again, it's made me think about it, is that by pending it, by changing it from 150 to 160, now we've alerted the, the market. We've let the market know that this actually sold at 160. So it's not intended to fool, actually. It's intended to let the public know, let appraisers know that when I look at my data, I'm going to look at pending sales. I'm going to look at listed properties. I'm going to look at sold properties. And if I see that a pending was listed at 150, I'm sorry, it was listed at 150 and now is pending at 160, that tells me something, that I know the contact to 160. And so now when I'm pricing property, I recognize that higher price, that I'm not basing it upon the 150 number, I'm basing it upon the 160, or at least paying attention to it. So when they brought that up to me, that was very interesting. So it's, it was a different perspective that, again, now I don't look at it as you're trying to fool me, but you're giving me information. And I'll decide what that information means, but it has changed for me. And I think that, that that's something that, I, I think that under that guideline, under, under that thought process, that, that I would agree, I don't mind it as much as it used to bother me. Because it was, you're just trying to pull a fool over my eyes. You think I'm an idiot. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I can do the research. I can see it. Hearing that comment, though, it was, it was very enlightening. I really liked their perspective on it and taking it with that grain of salt, if you will. Yeah. It doesn't bother me like it did. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you're the expert. I, I just, I'm not fully understanding because the, the numbers would still, I just feel like it would tell a greater story to see the sell price over the list price. That would, that would alert you more. And, and now you see these stats reports where, you know, we have these, these uh, stats where it's it's list price sell price ratio, and we are at over one hundred percent for a lot of areas in our industry, and it seems like that would tell the story a lot more. But hey, you're the expert. no 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 no. I oh, mean, okay. I, 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 that was kind of a, a great segue to the next part because as much as I appreciate the information, and and, and maybe that's just a way of, of maybe there's a different way to communicate it that it was listed at one fifty, we accepted an offer at one sixty. But the unintended consequence of that is exactly what you're bringing up, and that is also a concern too, because now that changes the increasing markets. That if you sold, if it was pinned at 160 and you sold it at 160, then there's, I mean, it's 100% list price to sale price ratio. You listed it at 150 and you sold it for 160, now it's 105 or whatever percent yeah. appreciation. Yeah. So, so now by doing that change, now the, 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 the market trends are thrown off. So uh, it's good that I have the information. I'd love to know that it sold for 160 because it's still a pending sale. I don't know what the contract price is, but not do or making that change does throw off the market trends, does throw off the, the, the percentage ratios. And that is a whole other issue that, that doing that uh, can, 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 can affect. Uh, so it, it's, it's not a... There's not a silver bullet here because I absolutely believe that 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 having that information is helpful. You listed it at 150 and it sold for 160 because if I'm valuing the property today, I want to know what properties are selling for today, and yours sold at 160. So somehow I'd like to have that information. 
is the best way to do it through the pending situation? I don't know. Probably not. And for the reasons that we just that we just said is that it's throwing off the other statistics. It's throwing off the other numbers that 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 can affect the overall market. Right. Um, okay. So, how has the perception of the appraiser changed during 2020, 2021? Are you guys enemy number one, or is it more welcoming? What what? How has the perception of your your field changed during this time i uh, i will only speak for other appraisers um um and I, again i just i i am a huge advocate of of education i am a huge advocate of talking to agents i do not have any problem communicating with agents and i know some appraisers don't, uh, do not like that won't do that and the reason i bring it up is that i don't i'm going to say this proudly I cannot remember the last time that I got into a an argument or any kind of a, of an issue between me and an, and an agent. Yeah. If there's an issue that I see, I'm going to communicate with that agent right off the bat. I'm going to say, okay, here's what I'm looking at. What are you seeing? And at least, if nothing else, I'm not saying I'm going to come up with your number, but at least we've had a communication where you know what's going on now, as opposed to me just hitting you blindside and you don't even know what's going to happen or or at least understand my rationale. So... From that perspective, knock on wood, and I'm I'm, I'm doing it. Uh, if this is wood, yeah. uh, is uh, is is that I don't I, I cannot honestly remember the last time that I've had a a negative attitude thrown my way, but it's because I'm a huge advocate of educating and communicating to help people through this. Now, hearing appraisers talk, and even talking to many agents. There is seems to be more of a negative attitude toward uh, toward appraisers, and again, I think it's because of the fact that that it is very tough for appraisers to keep up, uh, 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 statistically speaking, with a market that is increasing at the rate that it is now. So we're automatically the bad guy. That that in the in the past, prior to two three years ago, you had the property list at 150, and maybe it sold for 145, 150. Rarely would we have a problem. Every once in a while we would, but we wouldn't have it. Now it's almost just the norm that, that whatever your price is, we know that it's going to be more than that, and I've got to somehow substantiate that. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I can't. Uh, so because that has happened more often, and multiple offers have driven up those numbers, uh, uh, there have been more arguments, there have been more problems. And the, the, the issues that I've seen uh, with that from the agents is that they're not providing any information. They're, 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 they're arguing uh, and they don't have anything to argue with. They don't have any data to, to, to prove. In the past, they may have had that. They've had a, a reasonable argument where I could say, you know, this home was listed at 150. It sold for 145, and here's my data. Now, the home is listed at 150, and my data indicates 150, but this buyer offered 160. And I say to the agent, what, what data did you use to do that? Well, we had multiple offers. That may not be enough. That may not be enough. So, hence, therein lies the argument is that there's not a rational argument. Here are comps that support this. Now it's, I, that's just what the buyer wanted to do. Yeah. And so since you don't have any reasonable argument to make, then, then that therein lies where the, 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 the frustration comes into is that just because the buyer did it, believe me, it's the uh, more often than not, the argument that I see from agents is that the market value is what a buyer and seller will pay. I disagree. Not when we're talking about one transaction. Not one buyer and one seller. Your buyer and your seller may have come up with that you price. You can always find an outlier. Market value. Always exactly, an exception. Exactly. Yeah. So the market value is what the most number of buyers would, would, would pay. And if most buyers would pay what you've sold it for, then there's something that, will, that I can analyze. But if there's not, and you have this one buyer, you're, you hit the nail on the head, is that how do I know that that buyer isn't the statistical outlier? I mean, I've seen crazy things where people have offered... Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars over over uh, list price, and I'm like, I, I mean, if you're coming up with cash, spend all the money that you want because it's yours. Yeah. But you're not going to get me to believe for a moment, probably most likely, that the most number of buyers would pay what you're paying for it. You might want to, but but not not the market. Do you believe that uh, appraisers and realtors have a cooperative relationship for the greater good, or is it truly just almost like a combative tug of war? I hate that it's turned into a combative tug of war. I have never taken it. I, I shouldn't say never. I never say never. You might go back to a, a long time ago where I said so like we're always at, at sure. odds with each other. Sure. But but I and and, and something I've I've believed for a long time uh, now is that is that we are not that we are all in this together. That we are all professionals. We're all in the same real estate industry, and that appraisers 
I'll speak for myself and most appraisers that I know are not against agents. We're not trying to be combative. We're not trying to kill the deal. Right. I know that, and I and I don't like that that agents more often than not, at least from my perspective, talking to them, teaching them, speaking in front of them, is that they have that negative opinion that that appraisers are just out to kill the deal. What I like to educate agents on is that we're not killing the deal, is that as an appraiser, there's a process that we have to go through. There's a lender that we have to answer to. There's underwriting criteria that we have to meet. There's a lot of things that, that I may, just in theory, be sitting down with you and say, I agree with your value. I, don't, I, I can see that in the realm of all things that, that just sitting here and, and having a casual conversation, I might believe your value, but... I can't just tell the lender, you know, I believe their purchase price, so just go with the lender. The lender's going to say, no, Brian, we want a report. We want this detailed report. We want some statistics. We want some analysis. We want some things that are in here. We have an underwriting criteria because we've got to sell this on the secondary market to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae, mm -hmm. and they have criteria to sell it to them. So we have to meet that stuff. So I'll agree with your value, but I can't give the statistics. I can't give the numbers. I don't have data to support it, even though I may alter altruistically agree, I get where you're coming from. I understand why you're doing it. And I'm not mad at you for offering your price. If I don't have the data, then the lender isn't going to believe me and neither will Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And that's what we're up against. So it's not me being combative with the agent. It's not me saying, I don't like you and I don't want your number. It's that I can't prove this thing. And something that I always like to say too in my classes is that you know, I can write my appraisal. I can give you your number. You sold it for 160 and fine. I'll Agree with you, and I'll. I, I'm not going to fabricate data, but I'm just going to write the number. But when that underwriter, when the when the secondary market looks at it and says this appraisal is crap, it's just it's not any good. I haven't done you any good. You got your number, you're happy, but then the lender says, well, because it doesn't meet the score ratios or it doesn't hit the things that we need, we're kicking this appraisal out. So it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't get you anywhere other than you feel good that I was justified in getting my number, but now my buyer isn't going to get the loan because they don't believe my appraisal. Right. So that's a big issue. Well, and, and it, I mean, as simple as it sounds, it's, it's important to understand Brian didn't wake up with a personal vendetta to jam me up and kill the deal. Mm -hmm. But you have a license on the line. You have a way of life that's at stake to make sure that you do your job appropriately. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. I well, mean, and, and again, I, I, we are, I, even though it's an opinion, I'm giving an opinion to, give, to, to, to allow people to make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's for the lender that they're making an informed decision that we want to make a loan and we want to know what we're getting into before making that loan. But also, to some degree, buyers are looking at my appraisal too. And they might say, I offered 160 on that home, and Brian says it's worth 150. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I knew that going in. I kind of assumed that it was 150 and I'm willing to pay 160 but at least now the buyer knows as opposed to me saying it's 160 and the buyer feeling good and then finding out actually it was probably only worth 150 and if they had known that, I wouldn't have bought the property. I wouldn't have paid 160 I thought it was when I made the offer, but I'm counting on the appraiser to do their job and if they say it's 150 then I might back off and say, oh, well, I mean, I guess I, it's not worth what I thought it was. I mean, I know I got in this feeding frenzy and everybody else is putting in the multiple offers, but there's something to be said for that too. So, so again, it's, it's, it's don't be mad at the appraiser most of the time. Sometimes I understand why you might be, but don't be mad at the appraiser. Give the information to the buyer. Hey, he came in at 150. Well, and let me, I'm sorry, Brian, but I just want to say that, that hype, that scenario you just gave where that client, you know, or the client member of the public has that feeling, oh my gosh, I overpaid. That person is then going to lose faith in our industry. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's another big picture, long-term thing. Absolutely. We have an industry to protect. We have an image that we're trying to, you know, professionalism, integrity. And you have these mishaps and this miscalculation and he said, she said. All, all the time that's happening, that member of the public is losing faith in this system. And that, that affects us all. And, 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 and again, we haven't even seen the ramifications of it yet. I mean, we're still living in that history that we'll see in a year or two where that buyer that may be overpaid for the property today uh, that was uninformed mm -hmm. in that purchase of the property today because they thought that it was worth the number that they paid for. And then a year from now, they go to refinance or they go to sell it and they find out, I'm not getting the number that I thought. Yeah. And, and so now I'm mad at the appraiser. I'm mad at the lender. I'm mad at all the agents that were involved. And here's the lawsuits. And here's the, like you said, if, if, even if there's not lawsuits, it's still just the loss of faith. And I'm going to go to my agents. book club and I'm going to tell everyone yep. at book club about how all these real estate 
people just jerked me around yep. and saw me as the bottom line. And yeah, I mean, yep. it's just it, 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 it's a fact. It's just absolutely, what's absolutely. So it's I'm going to give you a number, and you make your decision. Again, yeah. I mean, somebody can say, Brian, that that house is worth two hundred thousand, and I might be willing to pay two twenty five uh, because that's what I want to pay for it. Uh, but at least I know that it's only worth two hundred. Yeah. Um, so I'm making an informed decision. Uh, and letting the buyers decide what to do with that, letting the lenders decide what to do with with that information. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break so that we can hear from the MyBoar updates. Hello, everyone. I am Jamie Barb, and welcome to the MyBoar update. August kicks off MyBoar's first of three classes all about the appraisal process. The first one in August is for appraisers, and the two coming up in September and November are for realtors. So be on the lookout for those registration opportunities coming soon. If you are a residential appraiser and would like to earn free CE credit, join us Thursday, August 24th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. for a live session presented by National Appraiser Educator Jason Telema. In it, you will learn how to recognize and apply market conditions in the appraisal process and gain a better understanding of how market conditions can impact the value opinion. Also in August, don't miss out on the newest MIBOR class, the BLC Rules and Regs. Are you wondering what are the best practices to avoid the most common compliance violations? Grab this unique opportunity to better understand the rules and regs and have your questions answered during the open Q&A with MyBoard's Data Integrity and Resolution Specialists. Learn more and register for a class by visiting myboard.com forward slash tech trainings. Join us September 17th for At Home With Diversity. The At Home With Diversity course is a seven hour class that addresses the topics of diversity, fair housing and business planning development. This will be taught in person at MyBoard on September 17th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Lunch will be provided to registered attendees. After successfully completing the course, realtors are eligible to apply for the official At Home with Diversity certification. Learn more and register by visiting MyBoard.com. As many of us start to feel like life is back to normal, we are reminded of the families and individuals still struggling with economic recovery, isolation, mental illness, and stable housing. The organizations that the Realtor Foundation supports are still overwhelmed and at capacity and doing all they can to help those in greatest need for housing and support. Last year, we asked you to lift others up with us. We are reminded now that we need to keep lifting others up. Please mark your calendars for August 26th, Lift Others Up Day, a day of giving, inspiration, and fun. Small donations throughout the day will help fuel grants to local nonprofits on the front lines of addressing homelessness. Don't forget to wear your Lift Others Up shirts. Our annual Realtor Foundation golf outing is set for Thursday, September 16th at Eagle Creek Golf Club and presented by Wheaton Moving and Storage. Registration is open at www.realtorfoundation.org forward slash golf. You can also find more details regarding safety precautions put into place at the website. Get your foursome together and get ready to go wild. Foursomes are $500 and individual players are $125. You don't want to miss this fun event. Are you committed to being a top professional? Are you ready to invest in your biggest asset, yourself? Then MyBoard's Master Professional Program is your next step. MPro was created to equip our members with the knowledge and experience in key aspects of the real estate industry, helping you to become an exceptional realtor. Our last MPro Bootcamp for 2021 will be September 13th through 16th with two days in person at MyBoard and two days of virtual sessions. Don't miss this opportunity. Visit myboard.com forward slash MPro to find more details and register for the program. The Broker Listing Cooperative and the systems and processes we establish are designed to inspire our brokers, to empower collaboration for the betterment of our marketplace, to move forward together. To achieve this forward momentum, a comprehensive review of the BLC listing service tools, platforms, and technology offerings have been under review. Aligning with next generation security efforts, efficient business workflows, and enhancements to the entire suite of the technology offered will carry us together forward. To hear more about upcoming initiatives, join us for our next Tech Talk, hosted virtually on August 20th from 9.30 to 11.30. Visit mybo.com forward slash tech talk to learn more. And that's all today on your MyBoard update. And now back to our interview with Brian C. Lee. So let's talk about Brian Lee professionally. Why did you become an appraiser? You were a realtor. You, I mean, you obviously have passion for the industry, passion for what you do. So why pivot and become an appraiser? Uh, a couple of things. One is that I'm a terrible real estate agent. 
That's a really good reason to not do it. And and, and I joke with my wife, but but she is an excellent... Let me give a shout out to my wife, too, just so that she can have that. Kate, I love you, honey. You're awesome. You're amazing. You got it on record. Okay, there you go. Uh, Now now back to me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Don't Um, worry. I'll edit that out of you, Brian. We'll we'll keep it all about you. Thank you. you. That's right. Exactly. That's right. but but I am not a good agent. I don't I don't have the patience with people. I mean just just being very transparent on that. Uh, you know I love speaking in front of people and all that. But but just some of the irrationality that I see my wife deal with uh, with buyers and sellers making just crazy things would just drive me nuts. I'm a Type A personality, and it's like here are the numbers, here are the X's and O's, and you're making this irrational decision that has no basis in fact or numbers. So that always frustrated me. So I didn't like real estate. But then also because I'm a Type A personality, yeah. because I love numbers. I am a math nerd. I love Excel spreadsheets and all that. I just love that number crunching. That I, that Brian, research. I knew you were a nerd long yeah. before you. I knew <laughs> you. We, by the conversation before we hit. I knew that. You don't need to tell me. That was our well, established. This, this is more for the listeners that, that maybe had a high op- okay. <laughs> high opinion of me. Like this guy actually knows. What he's, oh, he's a nerd. He's a okay. nerd. <laughs> just bringing it back down to earth. Well, that, but, but that's what I was thinking while you were talking about just that relationship between you and the realtor is because on this podcast I, I talk about the realtor. What what is their personality? What is their character? And so many of my guests in the show have, they don't talk about the X's and O's. They don't talk about black and white. They talk about family and they talk about, you know, people who are moving into their dream home, all these, these, uh, abstract, you know, emotional things. And it, it's, yeah. that's a talent. That's a skill. And you had the awareness to realize I don't have the patience and, and, I'm more of a black and white X mm-hmm. and those guys, and this is this is a, a better path for me in this yep, industry. Yep, and that and that's what led me down toward it. Is that it, it, it allows me to to still have some interaction with the public, be able to talk with them mm-hmm. to in, in my confines and deal with that, but then be able to go back to my little cave where sure. I have my monitors and my computers and yeah. all that. And my Calculators. Numbers, my, my numbers are, are very very warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of what led me to it. Is 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 um, just my love of love of math and and all that that nerdy stuff. That, that I like. So let's talk about BrianCLee.com and just and just how you've really taken this. You're an appraiser, but you've you've made it so much more. I mean, I I really mean it. You you truly are an enterprise. Um, during my investigation of your character, oh, because of my journalistic integrity, <laughs> hey, I said that, a lot of that words. That happened there. in Mexico. Okay, <laughs> when you said you weren't going to bring it up. <laughs> but I went to BrianCLee.com, and man, it is you know being Brian Brian Lee the appraiser is just the tip of the iceberg. So just tell me about you and, and cultivating that and, and just the podcast and the speaking. And, and, and I'm not kidding you. I, 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 I emailed you before I even had the idea that I thought you were so great uh, at the division meetings. You're such a great public speaker and you, you, uh, you bring a simplicity. You, know, you, you, don't, you don't try to go over people's heads and I, and I really appreciate that. So let's just talk about... Why? Why? Why do that? Why, why yeah. go the extra mile like that? I, uh, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, you know, people would have been asked this question that, that if money were no object, what would you be doing? Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, people do what they do because they make the money, because they have a lifestyle that they want to maintain and all that. So they do the work, but they don't like it. And, and, and for me, it's, it's an educator. I love educating. I love both seeking the information taking classes as well as giving that information. So uh, appraisal kind of ties into that a little bit, obviously, from I'm helping educate. I'm doing the research, and I'm putting that out there. But, but Well, just, just, between, just between you and I, yeah. LOL. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. Isn't education just the answer to all of life's problems? If I, you I just, just learned just, about yeah, it, you would the, the understand knowledge. it, and then you would truly realize what needs I just feel like you see most conflicts, and it's just like, if only everyone would pause and just educate themselves on what's really going on, whether that means empathy and different perspectives and, and history and I, I, you know what I mean. I, I, I feel do. Like education and, and that's, that's is absolutely. The answer. There's there's education on both sides of that for me. That that I want to get information out. That's why I love to have the podcast. That's why I have that. That's why I come out and speak at the various meetings. That that I do that is because it's my ability to get out there and help educate agents. That I can sit in front of them and give them kind of pulling back the curtain, if you will, as mm-hmm. opposed to there's this appraiser that's sterile and only about the numbers and and they're just out to get us and kill the deal. It's like no, actually, let me pull back the curtain and educate you. But 
But then also to your point, just like I had mentioned, is that I was at the Hamco meeting and somebody educated me on a perspective sure. on that mm -hmm. that that pending uh, the, the ret retcon that you had mentioned. Uh, and you and were so, empathetic and you put yourself in their yes. shoes and you kind of understood it a little more. Yeah, yeah so, sure. so I can take that. And, and then you evolved has, your opinion on it just a little bit, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, and it's just something more that I pay attention to. So that has driven me to, to do that. And the other thing too, is that, again, this is, this is going to sound so conceited, but, but, and, and, and with no indifference, I won't name names, but, but I have, I, I have my GRI and I took that down in Bloomington back in the early 2000s. And the, for the people who don't understand what's a GRI, <laughs> it's, I get it, but just in case someone GRI is, is graduate of the Realtor Institute. Okay, it's, cool. just, it's, it's kind of like a, I, I like to say it's like the master's degree. Like you went through the realtor school or real estate agent school to become that. You, you took the, the, the lower, the, the associate level classes and the GRI is just one of those advanced classes. Sure. Okay. Um, and I took the class and when I took the class, one of the things that they had is they had an appraisal section in there, which at that time I was already an appraiser too. So I already had the perspective and the guy that spoke was, I mean, I, I, I know him, I have high respect for the man. So again, if, if anybody does the research, please, I, 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 I truly have respect for him, but he was a boring speaker. Yeah. And so as much as he had great information and as an appraiser I'm going, yeah, you're saying the right things, but everybody around the room is yeah oh it can, it can and, be and, up and, here exactly yeah. and, and they're 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 lost i was like gosh i wish that you had some more energy i wish that you could provide that because you're giving some great information but just the way they're presenting it is 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 not and not that it has to be entertaining necessarily but it's also not the uh uh the ferris bueller the ben stein the bueller bueller mm -hmm. and that kind of a thing mm -hmm. where it's just not I'm, I'm not i'm not hearing you yeah and it's not because it's not getting information that i need to know it's that i lost that and seeing that kind of tied back into we want me wanting to educate and knowing that that again this is uh, just knowing myself is that that i have a personality i'll just yeah. say that, hey, that, that get me in front of a crowd totally. and, and i'm going to teach you but i'm also not going to say so an appraisal is technically a market value opinion and there's the technical piece of it and, and speaking in a monotone voice it's and brian there's this thing and there's all that i could have googled that and gotten literally what you just said yeah you know yeah. i don't need you to regurgitate what's already in black and white on the internet yes you know what i mean so put yes. that human touch into it yes. right yeah, yeah. And, and making it uh re again bringing real life uh instances to it and again making it a little bit entertaining i i don't think that i'm funny by any well I, I to my kids i think i am but they always tell me that i'm not yeah, yeah. but but outside of that they keep is you that, humble <laughs> they do gosh they do uh, yeah my daughter you're talking about me being 25 years in the business she reminded me that i'm 51 this morning before i left thanks oh, that's nice thanks thanks yeah, daughter cool. yeah you're, you're not getting uh, dinner tonight uh, <laughs> uh but but that uh uh, um, I felt that I had a place where I could use my experience, my background, and also my my enjoyment. I, I I spent some time on the radio, have a little bit of experience with that a little bit, have the fun, have the enjoyment, can be in front of a crowd and make it informational, make it educational, make it something that, that you're paying attention to. And that's uh, just you, once again, being aware of your strengths. Yeah. Just like being aware of your weaknesses. Yes. You just know your strengths and that's what you pursue. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a, an interesting uh, speaker, and he, he gave everyone a piece of sheet. And this was at a Hamco division meeting. What's up, Hamco? You guys provide great content. This was years ago, though. Um, and it was circling these like characteristics that you think you're good at. And he said, so when you circle that, what's your first thought? And my first thought was, whatever I didn't circle, I need to work on. Mm -hmm. And he said, no, 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 no. What you did circle is what you work on. That's what you're naturally good at, so that's what you should pursue. You're good at it and mm -hmm. getting better at it. Don't Absolutely. try to be adequate at something. Like, just accept it. You're not good at that. And I, that's always stuck with me. And I mean, that's I love you. that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that, that that's exactly what I, I mean, I'm not, not even thinking about it in that perspective, but that's exactly what I've done is, is that there are, there are things that, that, I mean, I'm, as, as arrogant as I like to say that I am sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm a good appraiser. Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think that I'm the best appraiser. I think there's guys out there that have a lot of more technical proficiency, that be able to rattle off uh, specific, uh, specific things about, 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 about the appraisal process better than I could, without question. Uh, but again, I have a, a, a pretty good understanding of it, a, a, a good understanding, but I more than most of them have the ability to communicate that in a way that people want to hear and 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 pay attention to and all that so that absolutely that 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 is the part that i focused on not learning every single detail of the appraisal process i know i know if i were to put a number to it i know 90 percent of it let's say 
and the 10% is just the, the tiny minutia that has importance and I have a grasp of the 10%, but I couldn't rattle it off. I couldn't sit here and say, and I haven't stri- do not strive to try to learn that 10%. What I do is I'm taking the 90% that I do know and getting it out in front of people and focus on what I am good at. And that is to, obviously, as everybody's hearing now, yammer on. Yeah. Well, so let's <laughs> talk about yammering on. Uh, www.brianclee.com. C is in cat, brianclee.com. And then you also have a podcast. What, what's the? How can we find that? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you can find it on iTunes and Spotify. There it's called uh, uh, Real Estate Appraisal Between the Lines. Uh, I started it back in uh, back at the very beginning of COVID, not intentionally, but just around that same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, started it with my wife. Again, love to her. Uh, talking about real estate concepts in general. And then toward the end of 2020, we made a shift from general real estate topics to appraisal specific topics. So uh, we have like 75 going on. I'm recording my 80th episode this weekend. and so episodes 51 through 80 are all appraisal centric uh, from the standpoint of helping agents have more knowledge, be mm-hmm. more educated and, and understand more about the, the background, pulling back that curtain. Uh, so that's, that's, that's what that is. Two things I want to say. One, I, I'm going to say it before I forget, but you are a bit of an anomaly, Brian, because <laughs> let, I'm no social expert here, but let's be honest. When you're, when you're categorizing people's personalities, the guy who likes to crunch numbers and, and analyze data usually isn't a good public speaker, but you have that Venn diagram where you're in that island in the middle. And so I feel like you almost owe it to your field to, to be the public speaker. Like you said, self-proclaimed, I'm not calling you, but you said I'm not, I'm not the greatest, but you are a great public speaker who can provide, you know, it's in your head and you can deliver it. Uh, so I think, I mean, that, and you acknowledge it. I'm, I don't need to tell you this. Yeah, you know, no, and, you and, know and, it. And it's funny is that, is that I mean, and, and with all sincerity, I mean, it's, I, I, again, a personality profile or whatever, but I'm a, I'm an extroverted introvert. Right. Uh, that, sure. that, that, I mean, and my wife, we just had this conversation, uh, uh, that, that you get me in front of a crowd and I am electric. Yeah. I am on fire. I've got, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. You see me at home and I'm very reserved and I'm not, I mean, outside of a few things, but, but it's like, you know, I'm, I'm focused and, and, and not that I'm not, I'm, I'm mean or whatever, but, but I'm a different person when I'm not in front of a stage. So I am that anomaly in that way. Yeah. But, but, oh, but yeah. I, I probably in my private life am more of the typical statistician that you would think about. Yeah, sure. But, but being on a podcast, being in front of oh, a yeah. crowd is like, I, there's just something that switches. It's like the, 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 the I don't know. I, something hey. inside of me kicks in. I'm You're there. in good company, yeah, man. I love yeah, it too. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure yeah. a lot of people listening know I, I love it too. I love, I love being in front of a group and yeah. getting a laugh or, or, or teaching things and communicating and learning together. It's just so fulfilling. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. Um, just when in your time educating people, was there a specific time where everything just came together you know, you, you really feel like by doing this, by all this energy and time that I've, that I've put into, you know, the enterprise that is BrianCLee.com and the podcast and the speaking, was there a moment when you saw a spark turn on in one of your students' eyes and, and you, you realized, I have equipped that person with the right information and they're, they're going to be a good professional? And that's that sh- the, the positive ripples of their professionalism and their ability to do their job at the best level is going to create a positive impact on everything in this entire industry. Did you ever have a moment like that or, so, you know, just that aha moment, like kind of that reinforced you of, yeah, I am doing the right thing. This is, this is where the path yeah, I want to take. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, the, probably the aha moment, and, and, and it's, I, I don't, again, it's, it almost sounds arrogant, but, but knowing my personality, and I've been around, I mean, I've known myself for my whole life, that sounds weird to say, yeah. but just knowing that I've had that personality in the late 2000s, I knew that I wanted to, to educate people. I wanted to continue doing what I was doing as an appraiser, as a real estate agent and all that, but I knew that I wanted to teach, and I reached out to one of the local schools, uh, the school that I now own, uh, the Indiana Real Estate Institute, and the director at the time, Dan Miller, uh, uh, did not have an opening for an instructor, and I said, if you ever need somebody, if you ever have an opening, let me know. Because I knew that I wanted to do it, I hadn't done it. I have not. I had not done it uh, to that point. I just knew that it was in me, and, and kind of felt like it was good. In 2005, Dan reached out to me and said, "Hey, we have an opening. I'd like you to to, to join with me." He said, "Let me give you a try." Uh, so uh, again, Dan was the, the 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 instructor at the time. He had me come in and teach one night. And I, at that point, I had not studied. I had not gone any through anything. I just picked a topic that I felt like I knew relatively well. And I don't even know what it was. And I sat in front of that 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 crowd and and just and just 
rocked it. Rocked mm-hmm. it. I don't even know how I did. I just, it was, again, just like switching it on in front of a crowd. I switched it on. And I guess the point of it is, is that I knew that I could do it, but I hadn't done it. And that night I did it. And what was even better, and again, with all, I mean, Dan has now passed, so rest his soul. But many of the students said, when are you going to be back, Brian? Sure. When are you going to be back? Because we want to have you teach us. Nothing yeah. against Dan. Yeah, nothing no. against what he does. He, he, he's very informed, very well educated, and can, can teach the thing. But are you going to be back? And just hearing that was like, oh, my gosh, I, I, I felt like I could do it. I thought that I could do it, but having that, just being in front of the crowd, or I'm going to say a crowd, is like 30 people, oh, but you. being in front of that yeah. and having them reinforced to say, yeah, that was awesome, Brian. Yeah. It's like, I am good at this. Oh, yeah. I love that. So, And that's where, again, kind of to your point is that I feel like I helped those students a lot. That, that again, it was that situation that, that Dan, with all the respect and love that I have for him, would have taught them at that point. I would argue that he would have taught them better than I could have even been thought of, sure. because he had been doing it and he was very knowledgeable and, and fully ingrained in the instructional part. Where that was my very first night, I was winging it a lot of it with, I mean, other than the factual information, but I was able to take that with almost nothing and able to 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 to, to change things to the point where people were like, I understood what you said. I really liked what you said. It made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I do like to think that. And then it wasn't an aha moment after the fact, but I still stay in touch with many of my students. And I love to see them talk. Of course, nobody ever gives me credit. If you're a student out there, I'm still waiting for the credit. Come on. Uh, and, and the royalty check, too. <laughs> uh, but, but that I see them go on to become you know, fantastic real estate agents. Yeah. They're top producers and doing great. And man, that just that truly, truly warms my heart to see that, that again, not out of an arrogance but to know that I had a little bit of a hand in it granted they studied they put in the effort and give them all the the thing but maybe maybe I contributed one percent to their success by giving them a good foundation and giving them a, a a fun educational experience where they did learn some stuff and that I've got to think that as they're going through transactions that they're like I kind of remember Brian saying that in class yeah. I didn't think I was going to need it but uh-huh. I remembered it because he kind of gave me a good analogy and I remembered it and here it is and it's been helpful so I I Maybe that's altruistic, but I I, I, I I believe that that does happen. And when and that, that happens happen. somewhere in the universe, you just get a little endorphin dump. Exactly. Wherever you are, you just exactly. get this warm feeling. Like, exactly, oh, yeah. yes, yes. So you've been in it for a quarter century. Thank you. I, Thank I you I make sure that that is clear to you. <laughs> for the next quarter century, and I hope you stick around. As, on, selfishly, as a MyBoard employee, I think you're such a great figure. Um, and I, hope, I, I certainly hope you have a long career ahead of you. Selfishly, and I, thank you. And, and, no, I, I, and I, yeah. I can tell yep. you like yep. what you do. Yeah. What's the future of the appraiser? Next uh, of the appraiser years. or me? The appraiser. The appraiser. Okay. The appraiser. The, of the appraiser. Of your, of your field. What's the there, future? There's there's a lot of discussion about what that looks like. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, we're looking at a lot more statistical analysis. That's something that that just being in it for the quarter of a century, seeing where. Back in the early 90s, early to mid 90s, uh, there wasn't a lot of statistical information. We still used some statistics. We used still still did some data, but it was very rudimentary because we didn't have the internet, or it was just a it was becoming a thing back then. Oh yeah, uh, you know, so data wasn't heavily available, not easily crunchable. Uh, and as time has gone on, that data is now very readily available. The cards and, and, are all and, laid exactly, out. And, and there's all kinds of statistical models. There's there's uh, all kinds of different things. I mean, Zillow is a, is a representation of it. Not that I I do not like Zillow, but but I mean, from the standpoint of the valuation. But the point is, is that they are proving that this has some legitimacy. Now, it still is. In its infancy, because there's uh, algorithms that they're working through that that an algorithm doesn't see what's in a home. But to answer your question, is that I see more of that being part of our appraisal process. It already is, but even more so, where computers do get smarter, where programs do get smarter, the algorithms do get smarter. We have even more data. We have more ways of collecting those things. So the 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 appraisal and the appraisal process is going to change a lot. Uh, uh, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to go away from being in the home. Uh, and again, that's where me being old school is still not a fan and, and where I would argue that that can also have a hindrance to our, to our world. Now, again, we have a three-bedroom, two-bath home in suburbia. I would say those statistical models are relevant and you probably don't need an appraisal. So, so I see more of those appraisal type of assignments going away, but you're still going to have properties like FHA and VA, for example, that part of the 
thing that we do as an appraiser is not just the valuation. Certainly there's that part of it too, but we're also looking for minimum property standards. And there's not an algorithm right now. Until they uh, develop an Android that can go in or a drone that can fly in to see there's some peeling paint, there's some defects in the, in the plumbing or heating system, there's still going to have to be a human being in those, in those properties for those things. And even still... And can we the, just acknowledge, if, if R2-D2's doing appraisals, I mean, that's so cool. We'll that is cool. Like, if R2-D2 does it, okay, I'm out. I mean, we'll then then I'm out. It's like, we'll I, I gotta, gotta, I gotta let him. Like, I'm gonna cool. give it to him, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hopefully that happens, like, way long time from now. After but, you're but that retired. Would, that would, that, yeah. I, I, I do want to see it, though. Like, like on my deathbed... I'm going away, and they're like, here's this new R2-D2 model that can do it. It's like, that's cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm dead, I'm yeah. dead, flatline. Um, but, but also, too, that, that there's still always going to be the need for an appraiser. That, that, will, that I don't see, at least in my lifetime, ever going away because you'll still need, there will be some situations, some property types, unique or whatever it is, always that where you're going to need to have somebody in that home to see it. That, that you know, you have this uh, a million dollar home that has all these detailed things that, that you know, again, you can't, uh, you have million dollar homes that range from one to four million dollars. Where does yours fall? Yeah. The algorithm's going to say, uh, I think it's maybe 2.5 yeah. uh, and maybe it's three or maybe it's one. Uh, so, so you'll, you will always need that. And so, from the appraisal industry specifically, appraisers will have to adapt to that. Recognize that the need for us to do those suburbia type suburban homes probably aren't going to be needed anymore or, sure. or very limited, much more limited. But but you advance yourself. And again, that's where my education and things like that, where, I, where I've focused on is to understand the more complex type of assignments, more complex type of properties, because at least again, for the foreseeable future, that will never go away. And so that is where I cornered myself and where I think more appraisers are going to have to, to do that. If they don't adapt to it and they're still doing the, 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 the easy assignments, if right. you will, for lack of a better term, you're not going to have a job for much longer. I mean, is it two, three, five years? I don't know. But it's certainly not a – you ask what's going to happen in the next 25 years – Easily in 25 years, that part of our work is going to go away or be significantly changed to the point of where it's not going to be economical probably for us to do it. Yeah. Uh, because a computer can do it, or or anybody can do it, because there's a there's a the the new Zillow or the new algorithm that that can crunch a number in a in a suburban area. And I can tell just by talking to you for an hour. I mean, Brian Lee, you're never done learning. You know, you're always hungry to. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love, I, I do. Yeah. I, again, it's 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 one of the again one of the reasons that I that I teach and I and I, and I say this with all sincerity is that I have. I mean, and it's, it sounds so corny, and I know people have said it before, but but I have experienced it. Is that that I learn more about the things that I do by teaching it, both by making the connections, but also having people push on me, throw something else at me, say, Brian, I saw this, and getting me to think. So so. Part of my educating becomes part of my education, yep. where I've learned so much, and that's also driven me a lot uh, to do that. So, so I, I, I love to, to 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 have these conversations with you and with anybody because I I will walk away from every conversation with learning something. I that's that's if I don't, then 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 there's then I then I didn't do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, one last question, probably the most important question of our conversation: Who is the best Batman? And who is the worst Batman, and why is it George Clooney? <laughs> oh shoot! Is this going to go national? Like, will this get back to them? Because, you will hear from because people. easily for me, Michael Keaton yeah. is the number one Batman without question for so many reasons, both altruistically and also just just he was awesome. He, he was, was a he great was, he was Bruce Wayne. Not just Batman, but he was also a great Bruce Wayne. Fantastic point. Yeah, yeah, he was an excellent Bruce Wayne. Just, just the way that he pulled that off. I just, I just love what he did. I mean, and and even just the way that Michael Keaton pulled that off with 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 Jack Nicholson in the in, in the the initial Batman movie. Just that just set the the whole thing for me. And then one hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. George Clooney. I mean, great actor. Yeah, I think oh, he's great. an Academy Award winner. Probably. Mm -hmm. Mad props to him. But but I'm sorry. Just the the whole thing. Just the whole thing. I mean, yeah. just just sorry, Joel Schumacher. You 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 missed. It was a Swing, big whiff. Swing and a miss. And 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 then so maybe that's what it was. Is that it's not that George Clooney was bad. It's that Joel Schumacher did. Just produce this talk about movie. knowing strengths and weaknesses. George Clooney has a lot of strengths. Yes, one of those ain't being the king of Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, Brian Lee, thanks for being on here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great.